Happy Wednesday morning, everyone. Welcome back to Kafaru Cast. Frank and I are on the mic, and we would like to say this podcast is sponsored by uh, Alabama and uh, Roll Tide. Uh, and donuts. <laughs> little, little baby donuts and sweet rolls. Uh, in Copenhagen. We've got uh, our good friend Brian Broderick uh, on the horn. Brian, how are you doing after the big loss? Two days later, uh, it's just like getting over uh, uh, losing your favorite pet, but it's it's, uh, it's getting better day by day. <laughs> all, uh, all, all wounds heal with time. Oh, Lord. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> the tie just lost to Clemson in the national championship, so um, Brian's not doing very well. But we did have fun in Alabama, although Frank and I both almost died from sickness, and uh, we gave it to you. Now you're getting over it, aren't you? I am, yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously, you can get syphilis as many times as you want. <laughs> well, Frank and I, Frank had a different type than I had. Uh, I just had a head congestion and a cold. Frank had full-on uh, streptococcus syphilitis. I don't know. He was bedridden for a day. Yeah, I think I had some yeah, sort of uh, some sort of stomach flu or something like that. I just what was that? The second day, second morning, I texted you guys and I said, "Your stomach hurting." And uh, you guys were like, no. I'm like, dude, I don't feel right. And you, you said that uh, you said I can go lay in that shooting house. But just so happened the weather was kind of crappy for hunting, and we came out pretty much 30 minutes right after I sent that text message, and I laid in bed for a solid 24 hours. And, uh, yeah, it was not good. Yeah, you when you got out of bed, it was like nothing happened, but you didn't move for – yeah, 24 hours at least. I mean, we checked on you a couple of times, but it was uh, it was pretty bad. I got to say the NyQuil, the NyQuil helped because, yeah, I was like laying there in pain, aches and pains, and then nausea, and I just about sharded myself a few times, so. Well, Brian, what, we ran back into, <laughs> into town to get fattening food and uh, chocolate cream pie, I think, and then uh, I had the wherewithal. I thought, you know, I should probably buy Frank some kind of medicine, and then... He drank it straight out of the container, so I couldn't take it when I got sick, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> I thought that's standard. Yeah. Oh, uh, Lord. So uh, we'll kind of go, we'll just go one day at a time here. Um, uh, on on day one, the first day, I actually made the shot of my lifetime. I shot a, I don't know, what do you think that thing weighed, Brian? Uh, seven pounds. <laughs> it, it was slightly larger than a jackrabbit. And uh, I hit that thing at 32 yards, and uh, I had to look at it in binoculars, make sure it was a buck. Now, you guys, you wanted to take, or a, a doe, not a buck. Uh, you guys wanted to, what, you want to take 50 does off the property this year, is that right? Yeah, at least, and more if we can. Yeah, we ran into Ronald a few times. He's pretty funny. Um, he uh, he was dressed up in his Sunday going to meeting attire the one time, but didn't you say two weeks before he came in and he still had the tags on his clothes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he was he had just come from church. He turned around and leave. He still had his tags on. I thought, man, he must not wear that stuff very often. He plans on taking it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that first day. Uh, what's that? I said he doesn't miss church on Sundays. No, it doesn't seem like it. Every Sunday I'm down there. He's definitely uh, when he comes back to visit. He just come from church, but um, yeah. When you uh, when we went down there, I, I so I hit that one, uh, but that's the only. And I had a 
a trad flag, possibly two. I can't remember. And then, uh, did you guys get any that first morning? I think all of us, all three of us, got one first first set. I think we all did. Yeah, except for mine was a mine was a bit of a runner. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That's Brian, right. Brian yeah. came to. Uh, no, we, we all we all three shot. Brian came to pick me up, and he said, um, "He said, <laughs> did you get one?" I said, "I think so," and uh, I was a solid couple hundred yards from uh, from the tree stand, and that that doe for whatever reason ran a pretty long way, and it seemed like it was a good shot. I shot it with a G five um, dead meat broadhead, and. It looked like a good shot. It just so happened to not hit more than one lung at what it looked like. But uh, we gave it a little time, and thanks to uh, Brian's tracking skills and old Boone, the the doe hound, we were able to track her down, and she was dead <laughs> by the time we came back. <laughs> oh, and then the second morning, uh, you I don't think, did I shoot any? I can't remember if I shot. I think I shot something the second night, but you got sick as hell the second morning. Yeah, second morning I was out, so that put or that put me out for the second evening and then the third day morning. Yeah, and, and I can't. Broderick, did you get anything? I can't remember. You did, I think. Yeah, I think I shot another one, and uh, I thought I had, you know, at least had a good enough lead on Frank once he got sick that I could beat him, and then nah, <laughs> <laughs> just you can't stay ahead of him. Oh man, I well, and then that second. What was it? The second uh, or the third morning, there was a monsoon, and you didn't go out, and I laid arrows all over Hell's Half Acre, and I didn't hit anything. That was the, th the third morning was when that torrential downpour hit. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember. I just I remember getting up and coming and talking to you and showing you the radar, and assuming that you were going back to bed, and so I went back to bed, and then when I got up. You were gone, and I thought, "There's no way." <laughs> but you did. You're a uh, Oh yeah, because we couldn't go out that second night because it was the the weather was so bad. And I remember thinking when you came in, I'm like, "Man, it's not going to be that bad." Because you didn't. You were like, "We well, shouldn't go." And then, holy shit, the weather hit, and it was sheets of rain for hours. And so we didn't go that second night when Frank was sick. We just fletched arrows and talked shit. And then that next morning, I thought, man, it's not going to be that bad. And I went out, and it didn't rain. It had been raining. And, I mean, it was wet, wet driving, but but it wasn't raining. And, man, deer were just funneling by me. And the first rain that hit, I, I threw my rain jacket on, and I thought, man, it won't be that bad. And I'd already, I had already shot over the top of – um of one deer and I was like well whatever you know and they kept coming through and I ended up shooting four or five times total and for the life of me I could not figure out what the hell was going on why I was shooting high and I, I just because I wasn't even going through the clicker I was drawn right up to it so I wouldn't shoot over the top or you know just in case they could hear and, and it was raining so hard it didn't really matter and then uh when maybe 8.30, 8.45 rolled around, a wind and rain hit so bad that I literally was like, oh my, I'm not going to be able to get the buggy back to the freaking camp. So I hauled ass and got out of there, and I filmed it and put it on my uh, my Insta story, actually. And, uh, and I got back, and that's when you were like, well, you didn't even know I had went, but I, I had. 
Um, and it actually, as it turns out, um, the limb had cracked on the bow I had taken, which I'm going to blame the misses on that, but whatever. And then, uh, what happened? The limb cracked on that one bow. This, you know, the one that cracked a month ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. The new bow, that one. Cracked. Oh, dang. We haven't talked about that in public. Um, the, um, <laughs> didn't you come back to, so you came back to camp and I, didn't you have water in your boots and you're wearing knee boots or whatever? I was wearing knee boots. My boots, it, it was, was ra- raining so, so much. Yeah. I had water in my knee boots it was <laughs> bad but we ended up getting when you got better we got the buggy stuck well For, the ranger yeah. coming out of the creek and you had to go get the tractor and pull it out yeah that was i mean if if you guys were flying from colorado i would have never been hunting that week i mean it was <laughs> 65 70 degrees it rained every single day you know no wind Terrible, terrible wind. Uh, it's like the worst conditions, you know, to hunt. And uh, but I mean, we still squeaked out. I think ten or eleven, didn't we? Eleven, I think. Yeah, because uh, I just got the bill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I bet you did. Oh boy. Yeah, he was yeah, off a bit uh, when he said three hundred and something. He was off by about twelve. Um, hundred uh the uh well the the one thing though um i did get you know it's you know whatever some shooting in and the one thing i was amazed with and this is something guys have been asking me um that one deer i hit left a whole i don't know what do you think that was six inches long huge yeah, that, that, that pouring away shot where it cut all three of those ribs. Five ribs, five. Oh, oh yeah, it was that was incredible. Of course, the ribs on that deer were you know the size of the number two pencil, so you can't really get. <laughs> they were definitely pink, they were <laughs> pinky finger ribs, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, said, I said, "Where's the deer?" He said, "Right there." I said, "Where?" He said, "Right there." And I thought, "Oh, oh, I see it now." <laughs> it's like a little rabbit. Uh, but that one that I, I was surprised, that one that I hit in the behind, um, it rung that thing through all the way up to its chest. And I hit that more or less in the femoral artery. And, uh, you know, last night um, talking on the phone uh, with a couple different guys as far as arrow setups and going over kind of with Amy because she's thinking about hunting the – I guess I'm amazed daily coming from a compound and shooting super high poundage, but shooting mechanicals um, quite a bit, how much penetration I'm getting out of that stick bow with a heavy arrow and a sharp broadhead. It's pretty amazing, um, you know, what I'm I'm getting out of a bow shooting 180-some feet per second. Uh, It's pretty wild. It is. It's, uh, you know, I I think – going to a trad bow a long time ago um as far as my overall hunting and understanding of arrows and uh and performance that's the best thing that that could have ever happened to me because once you see what a trad bow will do with a heavy arrow that's flying through you understand you know kind of the dynamics of what it takes to get penetration and then when you go back to a compound you're thinking man (laughs) nothing is safe well, and you watch these TV shows, and I'm pretty candid with um, Amy and people that ask, uh, you know, I'm talking to them about, um, of course, when I shot a fixed blade head with a, 
a compound, you know, I got great penetration and I had good arrow flight and a heavy arrow, but the mechanical is what really, I can see how a lot of trad guys do not like mechanicals coming from a guy who still does like them, but they rob so much penetration from you. And I'm not anti-mechanical, mechanical by any means. You hate them. Lander hates them. A lot of guys yes, hate I them. I can see how you could hate them if... You, you are a guy that watches a lot of TV shows, and, and the only TV I watch for hunting shows is when I'm down there with you. How many did we watch that night? <laughs> we watched probably, what, 11 deer get hit, most of them gut, liver, and maybe a couple lung, and maybe one was a pass-through? Maybe. And yeah. all, all shooting mechanicals, and then I'm out there shooting shit in the ass with a stick bow, driving it all the way up into the chest, uh, shooting 180 feet per second, pretty soon I can see how you'd become a guy that might hate mechanicals because you're just, they're robbing so much penetration from you and guys are shooting relatively light uh, light arrows where, you know, you, you, you go from the other end of the spectrum like I did where I'm going from shooting a compound to a stick and I went on this whole spiel last night with, with Amy and a couple other guys where I'm like, look, well, like Cody, Cody's was a shoulder shooting fool this year. He shot three deer in the shoulder, didn't find them on on shots that he got six, eight inches of penetration or less, where with a, a heavy arrow and a, and a fixed. I mean, Cody on the 3D course Saturday was like, dude, fuck it, I'm shooting. I'm fixed. shooting. Yeah, I'm shooting fixed blades and a heavy arrow, and I might keep a couple mechanicals in there for general purposes. But you kind of were the other way around, Brian. Yeah. You came from shooting a stick bow to a compound more. I mean, you shot a compound too, but you came the more traditional heavy arrow fixed blade rather than a lot of guys these days are coming from a light arrow mechanical, um, getting enlightened by yeah. old farts like yourself. Yeah. I, I started shooting a stick bow, I guess, uh, 23 years ago. So, um, you know, went through all the, the rabbit holes and all the fads and everything, but the, the common denominator was always heavy arrow, two blade head. Um, and it just it just it's just a formula for the least amount of drag and the most amount of momentum. And uh, you know, then you come back to a compound with that much more energy. If you're using that same projectile that you're using out of a trad bow, I mean, oh my gosh, it's just really. I don't, I, you know, I know that people are gonna think this is unethical, but with a compound and a heavy arrow and the way I've got them set up. I really don't care what the animal is, and I really don't care which direction he's facing. I know where the vitals are. I know the path to get to them, and it, it really is not a factor in my consideration anymore. I mean, I'm not going to straight shoulder shoot an elk, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean— There's I, a lot more room for error. Yeah, there is a lot more room for, for error. And, I, you know, shooting a, you know, whatever, I, my arrows range, but five to 600 grain arrow with a compound at 80 some pounds, it really didn't matter for me, you know, either. But, you know, Amy, the first thing she brought up is I don't really care what you were shooting because it doesn't matter in comparison to <laughs> 60% of the rest of the planet or whatever, because most guys are shooting 60 to 70 pounds and a, you know, a lighter arrow than I was. But, I mean, I don't know, Frank, you kind of went the other way around where you're shooting a heavier arrow this year, and we talked about it before, but, I mean, that deer you shot this year, you clip, you barely clipped the rear quarter, quarter and away, and came out its its neck or chest. Yeah, it's definitely amazing to see in person. Um, you, know, you can hear all the suggestions from people, but once you finally see it yourself, the, just the devastation or you know, and the 
the power it's got behind it with that fixed blade and a heavy arrow, it's it's kind of hard to go any other route. Um, I used a couple of mechanicals down there in Alabama, but like I was telling you earlier this year, for the most part, aside from uh, like white-tailed does and antelope, I'm pretty well set on using a like a fixed blade iron wheel on most of my setups, just because you get, like Brian's saying, you get that opportunity to to shoot shots where you maybe might not shoot with an expandable and a and a lighter arrow. Brian, when you can we talk about what happened just a few days ago at all? Or is that uh mum's the word? Just before the loss. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I, I you know, I, I um uh, you know, we all looked at pictures and stuff while you were there and um you know I had a, a really incredible deer uh, on the property that, uh, you saw last year. And, um, uh, I told you I would shoot you in both knees with a 22 rifle if you shot it. <laughs> and, um, uh, I let him go twice last year to another buddy of mine, Foshi, that you met, let him go. And, um, we just knew what the potential of him would be. And, and, uh, he showed up this year and, and, um, you know, I, I really tried to put in some time to hunt him. I didn't go anywhere near him when you guys were there just because the conditions were so bad. You know, just because you're at your property hunting doesn't necessarily mean you want to go hunt a big deer you're after. You only want to go in when it's perfect. And so uh, this past weekend it was perfect, and I had an opportunity to slip in there with the right wind. When you needed a west wind, didn't you? Was it a west wind you needed? Yeah, I want I wanted a northwest, yeah. And we never, I don't think we yeah. ever had a northwest one time when we were down there. <laughs> no, we had zero, we had zero anything with north. It was crap wind and it was all zero to five, which is, you know, I, I've learned over the years that a more steady wind is uh, more favorable for deer movement and it's also more favorable for the hunter because uh, you can make a plan. And, and just, you know, before we talk about that deer, I am not a believer in being directly downwind of where uh, where you think you're going to engage a deer, where you think you're going to shoot. Uh, I'm a believer in being parallel wind to where they're going to be, to where because these deer are going to come from downwind, and you know, but if you're thinking that you're going to, like, say, shoot them under a, a white oak acorn tree and they're eating acorns and you get straight downwind of it, you're basically downwind from where they're coming. So a lot of people always try to get downwind of where they think the deer are going to be. I try to parallel that because I think they're going to come from downwind also. So you want to be off that, that path, you know, of where you can kind of visualize your scent going. And that's why I wanted that wind. I wanted to parallel that, that tree line that you guys saw where we set that stand up. Or maybe you saw it, Aaron. I think Frank was in bed. Um, but and, that, and that's what they did. They, they did what they were supposed to do. And, uh, you know, he was with a bunch of other bucks, and I had a good opportunity at him, and uh, it was a great deer. No, he was he – was, where did you hit that deer, and what were you using? regular compound setup with an iron wheel. Now, are you shooting 400s out of yours or 350s? No, I shoot 350s, uh, and they're four-fletched um, with the 50-grain outsert and a, and a 125 solid iron wheel. And, um, you know, I'll, I, let, me, and let me say this, that, that 
I have so many people ask me three fletch or four fletch, and my opinion is this: you may you may disagree, but my opinion is that each bow is just like a rifle. Every bow is going to like something slightly different, uh, just like a rifle likes a slightly different load. Um, so uh, you may have three bows that are exactly the same, but they all three they like a little different setup, and so. I don't think three-fletch and four-fletch, I don't think one is better than the other. It's just some bows like, they shoot a four-fletch better and some bows like a, a three-fletch better. And you can tweak with both to get any of them to shoot, but if you have the opportunity to play with both and test, it may cut your, I guess, your process down the time it takes to tune the bow if you shoot both and see which one the bow likes better. Um, and some combinations of three-fletch, four-fletch go better with certain heads on, on that particular bow. So I guess that's a long version of saying, yeah, I shoot four-fletch, but the next bow I shoot, it, it might be the same exact bow, but I, it, it might like a three-fletch better with that setup. So there's no benefit. It's just what the bow likes. No, I, I would agree. I would say the only thing I would add to that is if you can't shoot for shit, you probably might want to just shoot four fletch because it's a little, you never can knock it upside down and you will get a little bit more stability. Um, and I, I think it looks cooler. I think three fletch would be fine too. But <laughs> if, if you're shooting a stop sign group at 50, you're not going to know anyway. So shoot what you think looks cooler right. and, and you might get some more stability out of a four fletch. But if you can shoot well, and Frank, you noticed this because you were shooting super spines. Is that what they were called from gold tip? Uh, vein tech. Yeah. Vein techs, Yeah. Which is a damn good fletch. You were shooting. Uh, well, I harassed you because keep in mind, Frank, when f something works for Frank, Frank does not want to change. Uh, I don't know that you've gotten really any better about that. If it works for you, you just don't see a reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Frank can get pretty much anything free he wants, and you still won't – you just won't change, which isn't a bad thing. And you were shooting Vaintex, that's that lower-profile, longer vein, and uh, and Greg Poole is a good friend of ours. And I'm like, look, asshole, at least try. And you're like, no, these work fine. And I'm like, well, how do you know they work finer than these other ones, you gotta at least try it. And I don't know that they ended up actually working any better or, or not. About the same, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't, but. Um, but I'll say the AEs, they stick, they, they hold on to your shaft. I don't know if finer is a word. <laughs> well, um, in Alabama it might be. I, th I, think, I, think it's, uh, I think it's supposed to be more gooder. <laughs> more gooder, bestest? <laughs> which one's the goodest? More gooder, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't quite tell which one was the goodest, but I will say the AEs with that uh, their glue system, they they stick on the on a wrap or on a shaft a lot better than any other fletch that I've come across. But when you do it right, if you yeah, do it wrong do it like right, I did, they all they, fall they off. They don't stick at all. <laughs> it's one or the other. It looked like I was dropping fucking rose petals on the way to the target. I mean, there was <laughs> shit. And I finally figured I was doing it wrong. But when you're when you're when you're tuning. Well, I did a video. I don't know, Brian, if you saw it the other day. I did that video. I was shooting um, bear shafts. Diff you know, when, when, I'm, when I'm tuning and I'm really getting dialed and I got this, I've been shooting three different bows. I've been shooting uh, your bow, um, the Bob Lee, and then the uh, Wingard. And the other day I had three bows and I had four at least different systems. And I had bear shafts, 
with each set. So meaning I had three fletched arrows with a certain length of shaft and a certain point weight with a bare shaft. And then I had uh, three other arrows at a different length with a different point weight and a bare shaft that coincided with that. And I had multiple different setups and I was shooting 40 yard groups. Now, when I say bare shaft, when someone's going to shoot a bear shaft, it has to mimic their shaft as close to po- as close as possible. You can't if you're shooting wraps on your one setup and then you set up a bear shaft. It's got to have a wrap uh, as well and, and match the weight on the back end as close as possible. Otherwise, the tune changes. So, I had wraps and That's then a I. Great point. Well, I've, man, I I got to get better at explaining this shit because a bear shaft isn't bare. It's just missing the fletch. So if I shoot a bear shaft with veins, I actually just cut the profile of the vein off so the spine is still there. So it'll match the weight as close as possible in the spine off the back end. And we'll go into that on something else. But when I was shooting 40, I'm looking to see when I group the three fletch shaft, if the fourth hits left or right, which is my bear shaft. And if it hits left, that means my arrow's weak or stiff. If it hits right, it's coming out of the bow weak. And if it hits remotely close, it's my shooting ability. It's close enough, you know, because I'm shooting a stick at 40. Um, all, what, what all of this comes down to, really, when you talk about, because people get wrapped up, do you bear shaft, do you paper tune, do you walk back tune? None of that shit matters if you can't hit a stop sign at 50 yards anyway. Do your best. You know, try to, to shoot, you know, as best as you can. But once you get to where you're shooting good groups, and I think, Frank, you've noticed this, is you've gotten this to be a better shot. You've been able to refine or, or hone down your actual setup to now at 80. You notice a difference at 80 on, on different things, or at least I'm thinking you do. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, this time of year I don't. I'm more focused on other things, but uh, yeah, once, yeah <laughs> predator hunting is, <laughs> takes up a lot of my time. But yeah, once I get back into it, um, yeah, once you you your shooting gets better, you you tend to to notice better things. But I think one thing that helps for me is I got you here, which you, I can bounce ideas off you, and then the guys over at at No Limits. But um, yeah, I I think. Uh, there's all different kinds of tuning, and you can go down all these different rabbit holes. But if your if your shooting abilities aren't up to par, then a lot of that stuff doesn't really matter all that much. Well, it's a good point you make because everybody I see now, especially out west, they all have an 80 yard pit, and you can't tell me that every guy out there should have an 80 yard pit. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was very you know it's like the conversation we had with uh, Gritty, you know, with Brian when we were in uh, Alberta a couple of years ago. You know, he had had a tough season, and I said, "Man, look, you know, you've got your bow set up the same identical setup as Aaron, and Aaron can group, you know, softballs at a hundred. So, and you could you you you, you can do that same group at forty. Well, you know what I'm saying, or 80 or whatever, but, but you know, you could do, you know, Brian could do that same group at 40. Right. There's no reason, there's no reason to obsess over tuning at long distance if you're not, if you can't group out there anyway, you're getting bad data. M- most guys should really not have, I'd say 80% of hunters, bow hunters, 
should not have anything over a 40-yard pin because they can't shoot any better than that. Hell, I'm probably one of them. But, you know, <laughs> because people don't have time to shoot, you know? Or tune in. This is something I yeah. talked to. You know, Amy is very – she's she's very inquisitive, not to use a, a Patrick Smith word. Is that back? That, that's not even a Patrick Smith. That's just a big word like for a me. Medium, yeah. yeah, medium hard word. She's she's very inquisitive on this because you can imagine she sits out in the garage and I'm doing all this stuff and she's asking questions and sometimes in the middle of my explanation I have to stop and be like, look, this shit does not really pertain to you or most people what I'm doing, um, because the. You want to be as anal as you possibly can and as as meticulous, without a doubt, in everything that you do. But you cannot be meticulous in 15% of the total equation and expect to have uh, an end outcome that's perfect, meaning you have got to have the perfect spine and then you have to have, you know, spin test your arrows. You've got to have all that. You have to have your bow set up to perfect. You have to have your arrow tuned to your bow perfectly. Then you have to have perfect form. And then you have to not shit your pants while an animal's in front of you for all of this to matter. If you only worry about your arrow setup or your FOC or whatever, but then you can't shoot worth a shit, none of it, it doesn't really matter. You have to have that total package. And I'm not saying that, you shouldn't worry about all of this, but I am saying that you need to make sure this isn't going to make any sense of you need to worry about all of it and not focus on one thing. And if your max distance of shooting is 40 yards, then you need to worry about all of that other stuff, but focus 40 and in. If you just don't have the ability to shoot well past 40 or 50, don't worry about it. Shoot groups at 40 or 50 on in. Focus on the tuning, focus on, you know, make sure you spin test your arrows and all of that. But your ability is your ability, and there's nothing wrong with having an ability to only shoot 40 or 50. But don't stretch that out just because you do have a properly spined arrow and it's tuned perfect and everything's flying good. That doesn't naturally make you a perfect shot at 80. And let's say you do have the ability to shoot at 80, meaning, you know, overall you are an amazing shot at 80, but you may go to shit when an animal's in front of you. Well, then it doesn't, you sh- you know, that all has to be taken into consideration. And there's a lot to learn and a lot to remember when you're doing all of that. And Brian, you've said it several times, like my ass is 50 and in. I just don't have the, you ha- you can tune, you know how to do all of that. Yeah. You just don't have the ability because you've never practiced that far to shoot past 40 or, or 50. No, I, I don't even, I don't even practice at those ranges because it's a self-imposed limitation on myself, I feel like if I decided to be a, a 60 to 80 shooter, I could work, you know, work myself into where I would be a competent shooter at that distance. Me personally, I don't feel comfortable shooting animals that far, and you know, and you don't have to. I mean, just for people to understand, I've killed a lot of animals with a compound and a recurve. But if you take the, the trad bow and throw that aside. Just the compound animals, I've only killed maybe three animals over 40 to 45 yards out of a lot. And so um, you don't have to shoot that far. And I'm not talking about just deer. I mean, you know, elk and caribou and moose and bears and all kinds of stuff. You know, I just, you don't have to. And I think if people would, would focus more on, understanding their woodsmanship and understanding animal behavior 
Um, I think that 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 getting that that range closer becomes a whole lot easier once you focus more on that than what your damn FOC is. No, for for sure. And uh, I don't I don't want to beat that FOC horse to death any more than we already have, but. I do want people, just because we get this question a ton on tuning, once you figure out your, um, you know, because obviously with, with day six, we're getting questions daily, which you answer most of the ones, you you answer the ones that go to the day six page, I answer the ones that go to my personal, and guys will come up and they'll say, I'm shooting 70 pounds, what's fine? I'm like, well, shit, man, that's like 2% of what I need to know, so lay on the, right. okay so I, I need to know your draw length i need to know what bow you have are you shooting traditional are you shooting a compound what animal are you hunting what speed are you want how much point weight all that different stuff and then you know kind of once it gets to that point you got to walk through tuning okay so if you already know you know you, you're not answering these questions to us if you already know what you're doing right these are these are guys that are just kind of getting going and learning whether you prefer to yep. paper tune or whether you prefer to to group tune or whatever your preference is, all I'm getting at is your knowledge base and your ability to shoot. They all have to kind of coincide to be realistic of what you should be shooting an animal at. Um, and then there's like you, you're talking about your this, this self-imposed distance. For me with a compound, it was farther than it probably should have been. Um, I had good luck shooting stuff, but it, it just, I, I let my shooting take over for my hunting ability. But with a stick, especially down in Alabama, even though I can shoot 40 well, shit, I mean, I, 18 to 20, I mean, they're, they're just, they move fast. And no matter how good of a shot I am, I'm not a good enough shot to pinpoint exactly where I need to aim for them to drop to into the arrow. So I've really got to keep it super, super close. In fact, what did I just shoot three or four? I didn't hit one in the lungs. I will know I did. I hit one in the lungs. The rest may have ended up in yep. the lung out of luck. And those were all, you know, the one I did hit in the lungs was over 30. The rest of those were sub 20. It, it's just how it is. I, I've got to keep it close. Well, those deer down there will uh, humble you and take you to school very quick. And um, But it's the best thing in the world for, for, for practicing and understanding animal movement, animal behavior, where to hit them, because you just get to have so many opportunities. It's a small target, number two. Um, shooting white-tailed does with your bow is just, I mean, I just can't imagine a better a better practice for guys to hone their skills. And I talk to so many guys every year, and they're like, yeah, I bow hunted all season and, uh, you know, never really got an opportunity to good buck. And I'm going, man, I know you had does under you. Yeah. I mean, how, how, are, how are you going to be able to close the deal on a buck of a lifetime if it's the fifth animal you've shot in 10 years, I mean, like, you know, most Midwest guys, I mean, you need to fill your doe tags because that's what's going to hone that skill. I'd much rather shoot, hey, man, look, I've shot, I think, eight or nine does with my bow this year before I had an opportunity to buck last weekend. I mean, to me, that was the, that was the first seven innings. Yeah. You know? That was the, you know, the, the last inning full count bases loaded you know and i was ready well frank you should you've shot more deer in alabama than you have in your entire hunting career everywhere else if i'm not mistaken yeah bow bow kills yeah bow kills yeah mm -hmm. so 
and and that's not saying out west. I mean, and Brian, you and I talk about this all the time. Out west, you know, rewind for me working construction. You have an antelope, elk, and a mule deer tag normally. And if you shoot one or two of those every year, you know, obviously, you know, if you draw a crazy unit, a little bit different, but over the counter, whatever, if you shoot one of those, two or those a year, in my opinion, you are a badass. You are getting it done. And this is Colorado, whether it be a raghorn cow, you know, 140 inch mule deer or whatever, if you're working a full-time job and you shoot one of those, you're doing pretty dang good. You shoot two or three, you're getting after it. Okay. Well, 10 years, okay, two animals a year if you're lucky, that's 20 animals. One is is still pretty dang good, so now you're at, let's say, 12 to 15. Well, in a season, well, we shot in two different trips down there, we shot 15 deer each last year, whatever it was. So what you guys— We basically averaged a deer a day for 15 days. Exactly, and this has nothing to do— with anything other than sheer numbers and where you're at, uh, Carmen, uh, Harmon Carson, um, you know, he talked about it on that Stickbow Chronicles podcast. He's like, we have pigs and I can shoot unlimited and I can shoot a deer a day for whatever it is, 90, 90 days. You know, he, he was like, yeah. I just get more experience, not because I'm special, because of where I live. And I think I told you when we were, and I was like, you know, how I've shot you know, X amount, a few hundred animals with my bow. Uh, and, and most guys out West are like, that's impossible. And I said, well, dude, once you get down here, you're going to see how these numbers start to stack up. Well, yeah. I mean, if you've lived in Alabama for your entire life and you hunt like you have, well, pretty soon, yeah. you know, eight, 900 animals isn't out of the equation, out of the question. Uh, in comparison to you meet the most badass hunter out west, and he shot 50 in 20 years. Yeah. Well, hell, yeah. it's not because he's a bad hunter. He just only has so many damn tags. What are you thinking, yeah. Frank? Well, You're smiling. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's you know, I, I will say that, that uh, you know, there's a, there's a distinct difference between being a great hunter and – a good shot and a good killer. And there's a lot of good shooters and good killers in the South um, because they've had so many opportunities. They know how to close the deal. Um, you put them out West and they've only tree stand hunted or, or hunted on fields and things like that. They're a fish out of water, just like the Western guys are when they come East. So it's a, it's, it's a give and take back and forth. But the difference is, is that if you put a guy from the South that had these opportunities within an effective range of a Western animal, they're usually fried chicken. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it just, there's so many opportunities to run arrows through animals that, you know, it just, it, it just becomes second nature. It's that the shot is not such a big deal anymore. And, uh, uh, you know, I think, I think I've killed, uh, 11 elk, uh, with a bow. um, a ten of the eleven on on public land and only one on private. And um, you know, I've, I've never I've never lost an elk, and I'm not sure I'm gonna lose one this year saying that. But <laughs> I mean, inside of forty yards, the target is so big, and the and their movement is so limited compared to a whitetail. It just uh, man, as long as you focus on the same spot, 
it's it's uh, it, it's just a, a, a lot easier task to me with a lot bigger bigger vital zone. Um, it's it's where you get in those long ranges is where the where the, the failures start to happen. No, for sure. And here's and I'd like to get Frank's opinion on this. I mean, here's where the tree stand hunting really helped me. One, you may have to, most of the time out west and not all the time, there may be a, a duel between you and a bull or you may see the deer and you've got the stock, but it's different most of the time with whitetail, not all the time, but you see the deer coming and you have this long drawn out, and, and again, not always, but you're watching it come in, you have to keep your nerves calm, you have to not do anything stupid, um, you know, no sudden movements and you have to keep your help, keep, you know, you have to try and keep your shit together. So when the animal's finally there, you know, you're, you're holding it together to make a good shot where out West, it doesn't always work the same. And I don't know. I mean, Frank, when you see those, especially at first at, and on a cracked out deer, did that help you? You think overall for hunting out West, seeing those deer come in and having to hold it together? Yeah, I think it definitely helps. And I also noticed, uh, between the first deer that I shot this year in Alabama and the last year, I was, you know, my, I got that little bit of a, an adrenaline rush and, um, some people might say it's just a doe, but you, you just, you get, you get that. It's just a different type of, of hunting. And, um, for me, sometimes I, I don't like waiting because that, that adrenaline just builds and builds and builds. And then you get, you get a little bit of buck fever or doe fever or whatever you want to call it. But I think it's, it's great practice and it's a lot of fun and you kind of know, it helps you know how you're going to personally react when, when it comes down to that moment. So I think it's, um, and, and thank you to Brian and, and also to Aaron for getting me down there. But yeah, it definitely gives you a lot of, uh, experience in, in knowing how you're personally going to react to it. And, um, like Brian's saying there, you, you know, you get a guy from down South out West, when it comes down to that moment, they, those guys are generally going to seal the deal because they know they've had so much opportunity and experience shooting at animals. They know exactly how they're going to react when, when it comes down to it. So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It just accelerates your learning curve. You know, for some reason, guys are embarrassed to post a picture of a doe or they're embarrassed to shoot a doe when everybody's shooting bucks. But man, I mean, to me, I'd rather eat a doe than a buck, number one. But number two, I just I just think it's prime opportunity to hone your skills and to learn. And, you know, guys, you're not – I mean, shit, man, you're not going to learn on the Internet. I mean, no. it ain't going to happen. There's a lot of information out there that's good and bad. You've got to learn for what, for what works for you. And, you know, I know, I know you don't like talking about FOC, but – just for instance, I heard on a podcast this morning, uh, a guy said, I want to shoot a, as light an arrow as I can with as much point weight as I can to get my FOC as high as possible, and I'm praying that I see a 200 to 250 grain expandable at ATA. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I, I know, and you know me, I mean... Literally, I was I was pinging and popping and hissing, and my ears were about to Who said that? I, I don't even know the podcast. Um, it's like Sportsman Alliance or something. I can't remember. And I was thinking, man, you're you're so close. I mean, you've got the heavy arrow concept down, but you know, you're just you're focused on high FOC and and an expandable on top of that. And I'm just like, man, 
you're digging a hole. You're digging such a hole. It's going to take you ten years to figure out how screwed up it is. And Amy laughs because you know she she has to. The poor thing has to listen to all the podcasts I do and all the shit I talk and me ramble about aero setups and what I learned. And okay, so you rewind. And, and Frank, you're 30 now. And so in another 10, 15 years, you're going to look back and you're going to be me making fun of 30-year-olds or not making fun, but looking back and saying, how do you not know because of technology? When I started, there was Game Getter 2s. Have you seen those? I think so, yeah. Autumn orange shafts, the glue-on knocks that were never true, this big-ass knock with a hole, and then the back of the arrow is swedged like a cone head, and you glued that <laughs> fucker on. It was impossible to get things to tune. And then the XX78 Super Slam was the bomb.com, Chuck Adams arrow, super tight, Broderick, dive in anytime. But you went from, you could shoot a game getter too. I shot a bull in the Weemanooch. That fucker went in its chest or its back of its leg. It came out and curled around its chest because it was cheap <laughs> aluminum and you could bend it. Jesus. And then you got XX78s, they would snap because they were like 70, 71. But the game getters were, you could bend the game getters and bend them back where 78s would snap. Um, and I mean, Broderick, you, you, I would imagine you were probably shooting game getter twos at one time. I still got some. I'll show you, Frank. Uh, I've got, I've got the, the, the old green, the old green ones. Yep, the old camo uh, green the old looking deal. Green ones. Yep. And, yeah, but I was a, I was an autumn orange guy, man. Uh, I used to dip them white. They're fucking ugly uh, arrows. This is before wrap. <laughs> this is when you dip them with paint. Uh, I used to dip them white, and I would use um, uh, three white feathers, and I shot feathers out of my compound. Um, uh, not until my resurgence into the compound world about five years ago did I ever shoot veins in my life. So, but anyway, I mean, but here's the thing, though. Those damn things were heavy. And the bows were shooting a moderate speed, so it wasn't. They were shitty, shitty like tolerances, but you could still tune them because you weren't shooting super fast and you were shooting a heavy arrow. And and that's what I was uh, leading up to is in the interim of all this, speed started to outgain consistency of of arrow shafts, or, or maybe not out outgain, but the bow performance started going higher and higher. And the arrows got when they got the XX78s were were very tight tolerances. You still weren't shooting that fast. And a lot of guys, I remember when I started shooting four and five inch veins um, when I started, which was standard. And you know, you think about now, people are making fun of my giant chicken feathers. Everybody had these giant four and five inch flex fletch and whatever the different veins were. You couldn't help but put a broadhead in the hole. The motherfucker was only going like 230 uh, with a five-inch vein. He was smoking, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was <laughs> – I, I remember shooting – I was shooting 25-14s and 22-19s. And in, in, in the middle of all that, the carbons kicked out, and then everybody's shooting, screaming fast. Well, then all of a sudden, the broadheads got smaller. Mechanicals came out. Um, I remember uh, – what the hell was that? No, that broadhead company, uh, they had a steelhead and a wolverine. Um, they were really kicking in the like the late 90s, 2000 time frame. I think the guy was out of Minnesota. Um, good Lord. Anyway, uh, Primos ended up buying them out. Yeah, the expandable. Oh, I don't know. There was a steelhead. 
raggedy ass thing. But I, I mean, during all of this, you know, um, as kind of all this happened, there was this huge kind of, you know, swing into these light arrows. And, and then now it's kind of coming back to, you know, to heavier arrows. And one thing that'll happen, I remember specifically, um, and there's lots of these threads, but it was on both side and a guy, how heavy of arrow you should shoot for, you know, for elk. And there was one chucklehead, um, I think he shot one elk on a guided hunt with a 390 grain arrow made a good shot went through the elk and uh he posted this bull on the ground and he was like 395 nuff said <laughs> it's like oh with all your experience of that one elk that's enough said okay well you know then you know i think Corey jacobson he shoots what he say four 450 425 um Pretty pretty light arrow, and Corey shot a bunch of um, of different elk, and you know you never know the backstory of any any real story. Like how many how many elk are different guys hitting and not finding, or um, you know with light arrows. Right. The truth behind all of it, if if you just straight take a a heavy arrow flying at a moderate or decent speed, it's going to out penetrate, and your bow will be quieter, and it's and it's going to have a better outcome in my opinion, coming through all of this, because when I was shooting aluminums, I was blowing through everything. And then when I got into the lighter arrows, yeah, oh, everything. I I mean, no matter what, a 2514 is probably four times, three times the size of the skinnies we shoot now. And you look at these skinny shafts and and less drag and the skinnies the way to go. But I remember putting long ways, of course I was shooting 90 pounds, I shot a bull in the chest and it came out its butthole with a 2514 and a mechanical but it was a small mechanical um without blinking an eye on a huge aluminum and it was only flying probably 244 248 and that was smoking. I remember I remember a, a 25 I took a 2514 uh or was it a 2512 I can't remember but one of one of the I can't remember the numbers exactly but it was the 25 diameter and I got like um, I can't remember whether it was like a uh, a seventeen something or an eighteen sixteen, but the, you know it was one of the smallest ones they made for like kid bows. Yeah. And I slid that; it fit perfect inside that twenty five twelve or twenty five fourteen. It slid perfect inside that, and I slid one of those inside the twenty five diameter um, aluminum. The first time I ever went moose hunting, and that would have been in 94. And I thought that's what I needed. The arrow was like, I think it was 810 grains total. <laughs> and I was shooting it out of a, uh, an 84-pound Alpine Silverado. And um, I, hold, I high shoulder shot a moose at 30 yards, and it literally went through the shoulders of the moose changed trajectory coming out the other side, went up and went, you know, out in the lake, and it was floating out in the lake, and we picked it up in the boat when we were, you know, coming back in. And, I mean, I thought, I I thought I'll never change in my life, and then, my God, four or five years later, I'm shooting a 24-inch carbon arrow with an overdraw, (laughs) you know, trying to hit that 260 mark. Remember when 260 was the shit? Oh yeah, yeah, that was a big one. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I said that I've only shot a few animals over forty or forty-five yards. It's funny; I can remember all the animals that I've shot 
in that, you know, 45 to 55 and one over 60 range. And three out of those five, I had somebody standing next to me saying, shoot that fucker, shoot that fucker. (laughs) Um, Just like with Alex. Um, But I remember when you mentioned 2219s, I was caribou hunting uh, in in 95 or 96 uh, up in uh, Quebec. And we had not seen, we had just missed the migration and we had not seen a bull in forever. And I had 2219s with a bear super racer head on the front of it. And I was shooting that same 84 pound Silverado. And I had a caribou come over a hill and spot us at about 48 yards to 50. And the guy with me was saying, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. And I shot that, that bull quartering two, and it literally went clear through that bull and came out the offside hind quarter, and, you know, they didn't run out of sight. Now, what kind of brain damage must we have to, be, to have that kind of success and throw that away and go to speed and light and all of that and think that it's better? I mean, what, what were we thinking? Oh no, I know, and I mean, I'm trying to pull up the weights of some of these, uh, some of these arrows, uh, which is even hard to find, you know, quickly. I mean, if I had more time, um, it'd be easier. But trying to find the weight of some of these aluminum arrows, the grains per per inch, and man, it's just how, um, it's just how the industry, you know, the I mean, ebbs and flows as far as uh, you know, you get people get wrapped up on speed and. You know, I know speaking for myself, I got wrapped up on speed and I was only shooting maybe an animal or two a year. Um, And it was like this huge, huge thing where if I, you know, now I have uh, some more experience and I've shot the stick bow and I've learned, man, speed is not that important. I mean, it's, it's important to have decent speed, but it's not the be all end all. It certainly isn't the be all end all for punching through an animal um it makes your bow louder most of the time you range anyway and you know the outcome is uh you know with moderate speed but really good weight is you get pastors you put two holes in that um that body cavity well when you start to really worry about speed and all these other things you know if you don't have a lot of experience which obviously I'm learning I'm you know I did not in the beginning and I'm learning more and more now you just go off of what the industry's talking about and speed was the king. And, you know, you look back, I've done some pretty devastating things to animals with a five to 600 grain arrow. And I've done, I mean, all my bad experiences were with an arrow that weigh in between four and 450 grains. I don't, I don't really have any bad experiences with a heavy arrow. I can concur. I remember going to the overdraw, shooting a twenty-two thirteen. um, you know, back when, uh, you know, the only broadheads you could get was 85, 100, 100, 125. I think I shot an 85 or 100, trying to see how fast I could get it. And the bow sounded like a gun going off, you know. And so that was just a, that was that was years of epic failures on animals. It was horrible. And, you know, fortunately, I had had success previous with heavy arrows and quickly went back. But I think what really pushed me in the in the right direction as far as long term and understanding is shooting that trad bow with the limited speed and limited energy and understanding what a heavy arrow does with very low resistance. It's it's the low resistance too. It's that 
cut on contact head that's not robbing energy upon impact and it's not robbing energy as it's going through. Uh, so, you know, blade angle is super important, you know, sharpness, of course. And then, you know, as long as it's flying true where the energy is focused behind the head, it just slips right through. So when these guys are listening to all this, the takeaway is, is that I understand people like the, the expandables for that giant hole, but if you only get one, you're not really accomplishing anything. I'd rather have a one inch or inch and a half wide two holes than a two inch wide one hole. And then number two, should you miss that sweet spot and hit a shoulder, a leg, or whatever, the the, the, the expandable with those big wide blades at terrible angles, it's a hundred percent failure. So I just don't understand why you take the chance. But anyway. Well, and I mean, speaking on the side of um, if you have a setup with insane momentum, heavy, heavy arrow or whatever, I can see how guys would say, you know what, um, you know, I do want to have a, a mechanical in, in the quiver. But I, I, I also will say me personally, when you're if you're if you're not pumping out an extreme amount of momentum, you can get in trouble real fast shooting some mechanicals now. Again, the mechanical thing, I mean, and I don't know, Frank, you see it all the time too, but I mean, it is a love-hate deal. Either guys like mechanicals or they, they hate them, and then you get into the argument of they can fail, and, 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 and on my side, you can also have, I would rather have a guy shoot a mechanical broadhead that actually hits the pie plate at 40 yards every time than an untuned fixed blade broadhead that they can't get to tune and so there is a rabbit hole you go down but it, it can't be denied you're going to get more penetration and a better chance of having two holes with a fixed blade broadhead there's no denying any of that and hopefully with what everything we're doing as far as the heavier arrows and teaching people to tune and learning this stuff obviously the end outcome is more animals on the ground and less wounding which is what we all want you've heard the uh you've, you've heard that that little game would you rather <laughs> yeah. so, I thought, of, I, thought about, I thought about this the other night, and, and I think this will answer the question for anybody that's on the fence, okay? And I'm going to ask, Aaron, I'm going to ask you and Frank the same question, okay? You have a, a bull elk at 50 yards. He's slightly, slightly alert, but not all the way. He's kind of just almost perfect shot, broadside, everything, okay? You draw back, you put your 50 on him right behind the shoulder, right in the sweet spot in the golden triangle there. You squeeze and you release. Everything's perfect. The arrow is halfway to the bull, okay? And you freeze. You freeze time. Halfway to, halfway to the bull, the bull drops and turns towards you. And the arrow is halfway to the bull. Would you rather at that point, if you could choose, when it's halfway there, would you want an expandable on the front of that arrow or would you want uh, a two-blade cut-on-contact head? If you could choose with it halfway there and the arrow and the bull spinning towards you. I mean, I can say that scenario, I don't know that anybody would probably pick a mechanical. Um, Probably most you're going to choose. But let's do would you rather... 
Okay, and this is okay. we're gonna say a five hundred grain arrow, um, and the guy's shooting two hundred and fifty five feet per second. And here's where the argument is: the bull spins away. You're gonna go in the guts. Would you rather have an inch and three quarter hole in the stomach, or would you rather have a two blade broadhead going through the stomach? It's arguable. The mechanical is better when you go into the stomach. Does more damage to the intestines. And I and I would agree with that. But let's say this though: the animal spins away. You and you're going to go through the gut. You are 100% going to get a complete pass through with a fix. You probably will get one with a mechanical if you're going through the guts. Maybe as long as you don't get ribs or anything like that. But you're still going to have penetration and damage done to some degree. You go back to my scenario and the bull has rotated to you. One has an opportunity to still close the deal and the other one has 100% failure. I would say upper 90% failure because <laughs> I've had that happen. But my bow, yeah. this is where Amy basically said, shut up. It doesn't matter what your bow is doing. I need to know what my bow is capable right. of doing. And so for, for most people... The would you rather, if people could tune their bow, I would say, for the most part, I think four mechanic or four fixed blades and a mechanical or two in the quiver is a great idea. If people can tune or all fixed blades for people that can tune, what I worry about is most people or a lot of people. Well, I've said it since the beginning of time. God invented mechanicals for people that can't tune arrows or bows. And that's where the problem yep. lies is it is a Band-Aid or a fix-all to screw on a mechanical for most people. I shot mechanicals because I could, didn't have anything to do with tuning, and I'd usually, what, I'd have probably four and two, didn't I? I usually had either three and three or four fixed and two mechanicals just because I could, and I could get them to hit the same. But again, in a perfect world, I will not disagree Everybody should shoot fixed blade when you can compare the, when, you know, in a perfect world. But for the most part, yeah. I would say a lot of guys, especially TV personalities, fuck me, they're aiming center of center. They're aiming mid-body. <laughs> Seems like it. it. It certainly, I don't know, I mean, Brian, you watch more of that shit than I do, but it looks like they're aiming mid-body in hopes to hit something. Well, you know, this this goes back to the first thing we discussed, which is, Guys should limit their range to their ability. I'll tell you this. If you can't tune your bow and you can't group at 40, really the only opportunity you have to be successful consistently is going to be inside of 2025 anyway. And that's where most people's success comes is inside that range because you're, you're just eliminating so many factors. But you know, if a guy can't get his fixed blades to fly at 40, but, you know, but he can still group decently at 30, then that's his range. You know, I mean, and listen, 30 is a very respectable range for a bow hunter. I'll tell you, if there are, you know, a, a, a thousand animals killed with a bow, I would, I would guarantee you that 900 of them are killed within 30 yards. I think it, I think 
definitely when it's more impressive to hear that somebody killed something up close than hear that somebody killed something far away with a bow, to me at least. And, and I'm trying to be, as we're going on about this, I am trying to forget the fact that I only shoot a stick bow now and remember, I, I don't want to become one of those guys that forgot his past, right? And just start going on. Because yeah. if you ask me right now, no, people should not shoot far away. Yes, people should shoot heavy arrows, fixed blade broadheads. But if you asked me four years ago, I didn't know what I was walking into with the stick bow. And so now, yeah. I mean, and you can appreciate this because you were there the whole, I mean, you were the ones, I mean, you were one of the guys that I, I talked to about with the stick bow stuff. Would, if I could go back in time and start, start shooting a stick bow a long time ago, would I? Yes, knowing what I know now. But getting translating a lot of this stuff to a younger crowd or a crowd, God, I hate to say this, but I was talking to uh, Amy last night about this. You walk into 80% of archery ranges. You walk in, you tell them I'm shooting this poundage, this draw weight, they're going to get you an arrow that's maybe six grains per pound, maybe seven. You're going to be shooting 113 grains up front because you're going to shoot a 13-grain insert and 100-grain broadhead, maybe 125, and they kick you out the door. Yep. Would would you guys agree with that? Probably. Yeah. They, well, they'll, they'll ask you, how long is your arrow? Not, not what's your drawing. <laughs> how long mm -hmm. is your arrow? They don't even care. They're just going to cut whatever you tell them, or they're going to tell you what they shoot. And I'm not bagging on archery ranges. This is just how life works. And they get you, they walk you out the shop shooting a bullet hole. This is the best they can do. And because I mean, in most arrows right now, we're roughly seven to eight grains per inch. Some are, some are nine. I mean, you got the, the FMJs are heavier, and obviously day sixes, ours are heavier. And... The that's just how, where the industry's at, and you go with where the industry's at, and f you know, trying and and it's getting better or whatever. But if you, you know, they walk out shooting a bullet hole, and let's say their their home is three hours away, they go home. Okay, well, if it's a new bow, some string stretch, things change. Okay, Frank, you've talked about it before. Most people just screw on the broadhead and don't even shoot it. Yeah, they just head into the woods. And one thing I will say with the podcast I've done with Ashby, and I've listened to it two or three times since I did it with him, I will agree And one thing I didn't think about that much. When people hit an animal and they lose that animal, a lot of times they will say it was a bad shot. Well, how many times, if they didn't find the animal, how many times do they know it was a bad shot? Maybe it was because it was a mechanical. Maybe it was because it was a light arrow. Maybe it was a bad shot. But knowing now and being able to dissect more and more and more animals and being able to look at different, um, God, I hate to say this, but shooting the stick bow, the animal, the arrow doesn't always hit where I want it to. But since I'm shooting a heavier arrow with a higher front of center or a decent front of center, I am finding animals I hit very poorly because of penetration and the arrow ended up getting to something important anyway that I would not happen if I was shooting a lighter arrow because I wouldn't get that penetration. And I will argue that till the end of, well, I just shot, what did I just shoot, three or four deer? I only hit one in the yep. lungs. What The other one I hit in the ass, right? And uh, where did I hit yep. the other one at? Christ, I can't even remember. I think you had a quarter away. 
couple quarter away shots. Yeah, yeah, spinning. And the arrow got to something important, whether it be the liver. Well, that one, yeah, that one that went in. Um, I ended up kind of going liver lung, but I got a pass through and it did so much damage going through it. The air, the deer only went 150 yards, hundred yards bedded up. But if I was shooting a lighter arrow and let's say the stomach was full of grass, I probably wouldn't have got to the liver. There's a chance I wouldn't have got to the liver because those intestines stopped it. Cause it's like shooting into a freaking, you know, alfalfa bale. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I know we've been on here a while and I know, we got to jump off here pretty soon, but I think the, I think one of the things that I, I want to make sure that people understand when we're discussing this over and over and over, this is not coming from a place of our team versus your team. This is not coming from a place of we're right, you're wrong. This is coming from a place of, and this is the whole reason I started day six. I want to help people be successful. You guys want people to be successful. If, if, if you didn't care about people being successful, Frank and Aaron would be getting paychecks like crazy like everybody else, and Kafaru would have 20 sponsors. And that's not what this is about for any of us. Unless it's We're Copenhagen. If it's Copenhagen, we, we will accept you as <laughs> a sponsor. Toyota. Uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I will, and I will take uh, <laughs> little little Debbie. I'll take little Debbie. So, uh, but yeah, or Krispy Kreme. Oh, those hot donuts. But anyway, um, <laughs> you fat fucker. So, <laughs> the thing is, 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 is you know, we're, we're coming from a place of we've been down the road doing it wrong. We've made the mistakes. Our sample sizes, for the most part are exponentially larger than most people that are on a platform telling you what to shoot. Uh, when they're saying it works for me every time, that may be three times. When I say it works for me every time, it may be 300 times. There's a distinct difference there. And so the, the, this is coming from a good place is what I'm saying. I'm not trying to sell shit just want people to be successful because there's nothing worse than having somebody go out, spend all the money, put in all the effort, be led down the wrong path by somebody that doesn't have any much more experience than they do, have a few failures and quit. Because that's what's going to happen to a lot of people. No, for sure. And I and I will say, because um, we've gotten a few emails and in, in reviews or whatever where people are like, you're beating the uh, arrow tuning um uh, heavyweight thing to death. We wouldn't be talking about this. I would say 60% of my questions that I get in emails are related to aeroflight, broadhead, animal penetration, bow setup. Because of that, we have to keep talking about it. You, you can't not, because obviously there's still so many unknowns. There's people with questions. So we, we have to talk about it. Now, the other thing, agreeing 100% with what you're talking about, and I say it to, to people all the time, I, you know, whether I come off as confident, arrogant, or whatever, I didn't pop out of the womb knowing all of this stuff, and I'm still learning. I'm only talking about this because a collective of dumb shit I've done over the past, you know, 30 years, but 25 of, of good, solid data, um, really 20 of, of very good data, and... I, I'm only talking about it because 
I've already been down the path. Well, Cody is a prime example. How many times did I tell him to shoot heavier arrows? I mean, I, you know, and I wasn't like a dick about it. I'm like, Jesus, dude, that's a light arrow. Well, Henry Ferguson's another one. He still shoots a light arrow. And I always say it works until it doesn't. And at that time, it may not work in case of Cody as a 200 plus inch mule deer. Okay. That will wake your ass up. And it, it, and it's kind of like one of those moments to where come heller packing out an animal with an uncomfortable pack for four miles. That will make you spend any amount of money for comfort, no matter what, because of the pain and everything you felt. You shoot an animal of a lifetime and you do it with an, an arrow that you know for a fact when you hit that animal it was 100% because penetration that you lost it or 100% because your broadhead didn't open or 100% of whatever, that is the time when you're going to make some serious life changes with your archery equipment. Now, Frank, you never had that happen. I just pestered you enough and you figured you'd give it a try for, you never had any catastrophic failure with a, well, you shot, I don't know how many does with a shitty broadhead. We found them, but that was, a, that was all, an eye opener. Yeah, that's all I brought that trip, so... Yeah, I'm. Uh, I can't say that many different from those other guys you're talking about. Though a lot of the time, I need to. I need to f- learn for myself, no matter how many times I've been told, and then and then I'll I'll make the change or whatever. So and and I'll say that with Frank. I mean, I don't know. You you don't tune me out as bad, but a lot of times when I'm talking with Frank, I can see that initial 15 seconds. He throws it into a file of yeah, <laughs> and then after that. He has got to learn, and you learn the same way. You've got to do it. You're yeah. not going to learn from reading. You're not going to learn from me talking. Now, you will go out and learn it on your own, but let's say, well, let's say I'm going back down to hunt with Brian and I um, for the rut, and we've been doing a ton of different broadhead and arrow testing with all of this stuff we're doing. I'm going back down. I have set up a high of front of center bow, and I am shooting two different types of broadheads. One, well, three different. One is a three-to-one ratio broadhead. One is a more or less prototype we're not going to talk about. And one is a, you know, I'm not going to go into all of them. But we're testing, you know, right now these different arrow setups. And, and my front of center is still not extreme front of center. It's just a little higher than it was. Uh, my arrow weight is a little bit more than it was. But we're trying to come up with the special sauce for components, special sauce for broadheads, learning like what is going to work the best. Because, I mean, a sales pitch for day six and Brian, what he's trying to do is come up with the best system that fixes issues that the industry has become. I won't say bro science, but when the industry has a certain aluminum insert component system, screw it in, you know, the nail type in stops or, or whatever, you know, it kind of seems to start to go with the tried and true, this works, let's not change it. And so I'm the test dummy, Brian's the brains behind it. And I throw in my two cents. If you're able to shoot, I don't know how many animals, I don't know, whatever, probably 30 or 40 this year, I'll have shot Brian, you're probably the same Frank, you'll be around what, probably 10 or 15. Yeah. You're able to collect more data than most. And when you collect that data and you take the bads, the goods, for example, the the EFOC thing to heavy arrow weight thing to whatever. Okay. We're not all shooting buffaloes. You can't argue with the fact you're going to need an 800 grain arrow to shoot a buffalo, right? You just got to have a heavy arrow. But for mule deer, whitetail, elk, black bear, antelope, sheep, all that mountain goats, all that shit, 
what components, what arrow weight, what broadhead works the best. We're All we're doing when we're doing all this, we're having a lot of fun, we're having a lot of shit talking, but we are testing constantly to see what works best, what flies best, what goes through, and, and I'll, I'll, honestly, in the end, too, cost efficiency. Um, nothing wrong with expensive broadheads, but they are expensive. Nothing wrong with expensive arrows. Arrows are expensive, but you want to get the best bang for the buck, and you also want to know what is actually legitimately going to work and make a difference. And I only bring that up is, okay, dual bevel and single bevel. Broderick, I got a P. <laughs> Talk about single bevel, double bevel, because I get this question a ton. And as of right now, if a single bevel broadhead does penetrate more, I don't think it does personally through any soft tissue, any meat, anything. It may into bone, but I've shot single bevels um, and three blades almost exclusively this year. Um, and I love the cutthroat broadhead. It a, it's a penetrating fool. But I've shot through almost every animal I've killed and broke the offside leg on just about all of them. And I've done that with less to the industry standard or what a lot of people preach, less penetrating. What do you think about that single bevel? First off, let me say that there is nothing wrong with a single bevel head. But, and it is no better or worse than a double bevel head. Um, and just the other day, I was uh, uh, ordering some, some cutthroats from Rocky Mountain because I do love those heads too. And um, for the weight that I wanted, uh, Alex there says, oh, we only have left bevels. You know, what, what is your fletching? And I said, well, I'm hard right helical. He goes, well, it won't work. And I said, yeah, it will. Just send them on. So <laughs> um, the, the thing is with single bevel, double bevel, is that I understand when you look at a, a, a single bevel head, the concept behind it creates rotation, but it does not create rotation. If, if it did create rotation, a bird would be 90% wide body and 10% wide wings. Uh, a plane would be 90% wide fuselage and 10% wide wings. The, the ratio on a, like on a boat propeller, it would be 90% hub, 10%, uh, you know, the, the blade. The, the, the length and size or width of the bevel on a single bevel head is not wide enough in relation to the ratio of the width of the head to ever create rotation. Basically, where all this came from is, is back when I first started, most of these heads were built in a garage. All these broadhead companies, especially the two blades, were very small, built in, built in somebody's garage. These people don't have the tooling or capabilities to do a razor-sharp double bevel. The easiest you know, edge to create is a single bevel edge. You file one way. And so that's how all this started. In the bro science, somebody looked at it one day and said, oh, well, this is facing one way and this is the other. It's going to rotate. Well, it's not. It, it, it's, it's, it's physically, mechanically impossible. There's no mechanical advantage there for something that small to create rotation. And I can tell you that I've shot 100 animals with a left bevel, single bevel broadhead with right 
hard helical fletchings, never had a single one screw off. It's, they're not going to. But it's not a bad head. It's just not any better than a double bevel. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, it, it does make total sense. Um, I, uh, I, I think that. Um, so, what's the reason why somebody would shoot one over the other then? Well, other than bro science. Okay, yeah. so he, here's, man, here's the problem, and this will get a ton of messages. There are people that no matter what are going to shoot a single bevel head. They are, and there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. They are convinced no matter what that is going to penetrate. It's going to 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 twist or turn, and and they do twist when you shoot them into a target. It does rotate some into a target. Now, Brian, I don't know if you agree with that, but I mean, I can't deny it. When I shoot it into a target, it's rotating some, you know, into the target. The the question is yeah, because because every arrow rotates into the target. Yeah, could that be because of the arrows rotating already? Well, if you shoot four arrows and the one yeah. that rotated the most is the one with the single bevel, I can't argue that that rotated more. Has somebody, has somebody, or has anybody done like scientific testing, shooting into like gel or shooting into like a pig or a, like a dead cow or something? I'm sure someone has. I don't, I'm not aware of of anyone testing into ballistic gel. Brian, you might be of how much more a single bevel rotates into ballistic gel um, than a standard broadhead with with helical that's rotating into it anyway. I, I don't know. I just know that that if you shoot. A, a bunch of animals with a, a, a left bevel head with right helical and it doesn't untwist, that pretty much refutes the science right there. And, and I can't argue with and you can shoot and you can shoot into, you can shoot into a target. Well, and it's shooting into the target, that's where I got it. The, the single bevel yeah. into a target seemed to rotate a bit more than the standard of me just shooting and screwing around with it. Here's where like I don't really want to get into that. I've shot a shitload of animals with an iron will, a cutthroat, and a Valkyrie. I can't say any one actually worked any better than the other one is, is my problem. This is where my hang-up is at. And, and Brian and I, you and I differ a little bit on this is I cannot – okay, an iron will statistically off of Ashby's theory should not penetrate as well. It's shorter. It doesn't have the three-to-one ratio. It's a dual bevel. But man, I've crushed some animals with an iron will with devastating penetration. And I'm like, all right, well, okay, potato, potato, how much does it matter? Are you driving a semi truck through the drive through? It's blowing through and blowing legs off on the other side. Okay, now rewind. Brian, are you doing all right on time? I'm good. I'm okay. good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to light it up on this shit. Well, <laughs> re rewind it to high country buck and Alberta buck. Blew through it. Um, one on the shoulder, you know, one through the ribs on the onside, blew the leg apart on the offside with a stick bow. Okay, that's a shorty jag from Iron Will or from uh, Valkyrie. Technically, not a devastatingly penetrating three to one broadhead. Now, you talk to Brent, the first thing he said is you would have blown through that offside leg totally with a longer broadhead, which, in fairness, I haven't, well, I shot the uh, my mountain lion with the, the longer head, which isn't very good data. But, okay, so now, and I've shot a ton of stuff with the cutthroat, all of which did great a great job and penetrated great and did great damage. Okay, so now I'm having Brent send me some 3-to-1 uh, ratio, the long broad heads, 
and I'm going to shoot the iron wells down there with you on this next trip. You know, again, we're collecting mm-hmm. data. I have not seen, you know, and I'm not sh- haven't shot any African animals, but shooting a pile of other animals to where I would say um, that I that I would not choose to shoot a single bevel head over a double bevel for any other reason, maybe than they were on sale or or something else. I'm not saying if they somebody told me, hey. You can only shoot a single bevel the rest of your life. I wouldn't care. That's fine. It's a great head. If somebody said you got to shoot a three to one ratio, I'd be like, yeah, that's cool. If somebody said you got to shoot an iron wheel head or something else, that's fine. What I want to find and what Brian and I are working on is, okay, out of all of this data and all of this testing, what is the medium? What is the best option for everything? Because you cannot deny a three to one ratio head will not fly as well. You will get drop. You're going to get more wind drag. You're going to get more wind drift. There's more surface area at longer distances that three to one head and the tip can bend. So there's negative sides to that. Okay. So does that shift it towards the iron wheel head? Okay. Or at, when I say iron wheel, we're friends with iron wheel. We like bill. Does that shift it? That shorter penetrates like crazy. Okay. Well then you start to talk about the steels. Okay, you you look at a grizzly stick. I've shot a ton of different silver flames or their their version. Their metal kind of sucks. Their broadheads break. The 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 sorry guys, don't hate me. Um, it's a 440, I think, is what it is, and it chips. They ding. Well, then you get Bill doing the it's A2. Aluminum ferrule. Aluminum ferrule. You get Bill with the A2, where Bill's gone. What I would call full retard, right? Bill is. Uh, What's, what do you, what, how would you put, Bill is extremely anal retentive to the ninth degree. Meticulous. He's very meticulous. Is A2 needed? Is that, a, is that a negative or is it a positive? Is there a happy medium somewhere in between of all that? All we're doing is trying to find out what's best out of shooting a bunch of animals and, and testing. And I'll quit talking, Brian. Go ahead. Okay. So three to one ratio. That all stems from the old Howard Hill era. Okay. Uh, by the way, Howard Hill is from Alabama, as are most great archers. Roll Tide. Um, <laughs> How about football? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shut up. So uh, anyway, uh, anyway, that's that's where the three to one ratio came from back in those days. That's kind of how they were made. The advantage of the three to one broadhead is the blade angle. It's it's that very modest, mild blade angle. Um, that is what creates that wonderful penetration. And the only way to achieve that blade angle then, in their mind, was the three-to-one ratio, okay? So now you take some of these more modern blades that are half the length, but look what they've done. They've either done a, a concave shape or a Maasai shape, like the, the silver flames uh, or like the solid broadheads, and they're very rapidly attaining that same mild blade angle as they turn the curve. You look at Bill with Iron Will. Well, he achieved that same mild blade angle by putting a tanto tip or tanto, wherever you're from, uh, on the front of it, which basically, you know, brings that, that main run of blade angle out and reduces the angle where it's that very mild least amount of drag angle that is where the three to one advantage is is the blade angle with regards to when they talk about the mechanical advantage of the three to one 
a long broadhead to me is a recipe for failure as you enter less than ideal situations, bones, shoulders, etc. because now it becomes a lever. And the longer that lever is, the faster it's going to take the knock and change the trajectory of the knock from behind the head. So if you have a short head, but with that right blade angle, it's not, it's a very short lever that is not going to, uh, you know, change the, the trajectory of the knock because having the knock directly behind the head is 100% the key to penetration. Throw all of our other bullshit out the window, weight, FOC, which broadhead, if the damn knock ain't pushing behind the head, you're not getting penetration. So that is, to me, the whole concept behind this. And this is all, this is the bro science to where guys don't understand why they're a three-to-one junkie and proponent or groupie. They don't understand that the really only advantage there is the plate angle, which I agree with. But I disagree with the, with the lever and the fulcrum. And I shot the Valkyrie last year. I shot 17 animals with the long Valkyrie. Um, it did a great job 90% of the time. You know, the, the, the few failures I had was when I had impact with shoulder, rib, like high rib, hard, heavy, high rib, stuff like that, to where it really quickly changed the, the, the arrow angle and moved the knockover left, right, up, or down. So Now, when Brent listens to this, he's going to have a, a fucking heart attack. Um, <laughs> when he listens to what you're saying, but I, I mean, I would, I would say that so far, and I had Brent, you know, cause Brian is, it's not like Brian and I agree on everything. We argue all the time for me. No. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it actually, we should video some of them cause they're pretty funny. The, I had, <laughs> I had Brent send me some long ones cause as of right now, everything that you've talked about with what you disliked. I can't judge because I've only shot shot animals with that short jag, which is the broadhead right. you would probably prefer because it's shit. It's half the length of the long one. I mean, it's it's a standard length broadhead. Everything I've shot is it with is, that. The problem, well, the problem I have is is that I love those Valkyrie heads, and I I really like everything about them. I I love the concentricity of them. You know how well they spin. I love that long angle. Um, except for that lever function. That's really where I have a problem with it. I, I, they're a little more difficult to sharpen than a two-blade. But the, but the main other problem I have is the flare at the end. You go from this wonderful blade angle to this almost 90-degree flare, and that is where most broadheads are creating a disadvantage for penetration is that is that hard angle that's 90 degrees to the trajectory. It's just, it's just an anchor. It just, it grabs, slows down, it drags, it dulls super fast. Um, and that's why, you know, I shot Simmons sharks for years until I got my hands on German kinetics, which originally then, then became silver flames because I was able to get that, that three to one ratio blade angle with a shorter head, um, and I didn't have that big flare at the end like I did with the with the Simmons. And and, and these are, this is learning from mistakes and learning through running hundreds and hundreds of animals, you know, arrows through animals. You figure out what works and what doesn't. And, you know, the single bevel thing, there's nothing wrong with them. I'd shoot a single bevel tomorrow the rest of my life. All I'm saying is 
is that it does not create a, a rotational mechanical advantage over a double bevel. It's not any better, any worse. It's the same. That's all I'm saying. It, and, it, and I'm not saying anything bad about them. I love them. It's just, I'm just saying it doesn't do that, which is not a disadvantage. That's all. Yeah, and, and I can't off of my uh, getting rid of, of uh, taking everything out of the equation and just going off of what I've seen. The only thing that I've seen that I can't compare to anything else is when I hit the vertebrae of that one bull, that uh, the cutthroat buried three quarters into the vertebrae. Would that have done with a double bevel? You know, who knows? I would assume it would have. I will say that that cutthroat is a penetrating machine, but it has the correct mm-hmm. angle to penetrate. You know what I mean? It's got a... It's, it's, the right, it's the right blade angle. It's the right blade angle and a decent length. So people, one, yeah. get probably a little bit more too wrapped up around this than they probably should because if you can't shoot very well and you're really worried about your broadhead, you probably should work on your shooting and less about the broadhead at that time. But I, I think that with everything that we're able to do, we're going to be able to look at a good mean, median, and mode and figure out, um, oh, you know, over time, what's the best recipe for success. And right now, EFOC to me, with all of the, the extreme front of center, I think good FOC, a decent FOC is good. I think when you get into the Moderate. extreme, yeah, yeah. When you get into the extreme FOC, it is to me where some people are, that's the be all end all. I think that's where you run into more problems with extreme FOC because you're going so far to one end of the spectrum compared to the other. When you have a decent FOC and a heavy arrow, you don't have the tuning it. And I, people are like, no, no, extreme FOC makes it easier to tune. Well, it's a, and in my opinion, it's a Band-Aid to tuning. Yes, your arrow it will is. end up in the it's right not, spot. It's, it's not properly tuned. Yeah, you you can get away with more, but it's not properly tuned, and I would prefer prefer a properly tuned. And right now, I think I'm at about 20% FOCE after I change, which is still low compared to most. Um, I think with a compound, I was 13 to 15 most of the time after kind of running numbers and checking. I, I don't have any issue shooting 20% FOC because I'm shooting a 588-grain arrow. I'm shooting high grains per inch. And I've got 250-some grains up front. I wouldn't say that's extreme anywhere. That's moderate across the board the whole way through. Um, For what I would think about what I would have to do. I can see, Frank, you're getting bored, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Think of what I would have to do to get to 30% or 28% FOC. Jesus, I'd have to have fucking 350, 400 grains on the front of my arrow. It's not worth it to or me. Get a really li- or, or get a really light brittle arrow. A brittle arrow, which I do not like. And that's what I try to explain to guys is when you start running numbers and guys are like, oh, you know, I have to be above 26%. At what end? Okay, are you, you're going to shoot an arrow yeah. that you can thump and snap in half. I will go against anyone. I do not have any issue. That's accuracy, grouping, arrow penetration, you know, show me the money, and again, whatever, call me confident, arrogant, whatever you want. There's no way you're going to convince me that there's going to be a better arrow set up for North American game than what I have right now. And this is just off of me grouping in wind, me grouping through, you know, me going through animals. 
that system I've got, that 570 to 580 with, uh, you know, 230 to 250 grains up front, it's just been lethal. And we were shooting out of the garage the other day. If you look at the target now, there's four arrows right now into something the size of a, of a saucer plate, a six-inch group. When it was windy, I was shooting in high wind with five-inch chicken feathers, dropping them into that target you know, it's going to be hard to convince me to, to go to something different when that's working so well. Well, this is the thing, y'all. You no. know, like I said on the, on the single bevel heads, the single bevel, single bevel and the EFOC both generated in the uh, trad world, okay? They both originated in the trad world because the, the, the trad industry is a very small industry, um, you know, it's not, not really a big market. And so most of these broadhead guys with the single bevels, like I said, they're making them out of their garage, and that's the capabilities they had. And bro science changed it to it rotates and creates better penetration, bus bone, yada, yada, yada. So then the same thing with EFOC. This is how it started, guys. You've got guys that are building, trying to build three-to-one broadheads, uh, in their garage, okay? So they're trying to build three-to-one broadheads in their garage. They, it's physically impossible for them to build anything under almost 200 grains. Think about how long it's taken Bill with Iron Will to do a solid 100-grain broadhead. It's the hardest thing he's ever done because it's almost impossible, okay? So what happened is these guys built all these broadheads in their garage, they can't get the weight down. And so, hence, guess what's born? EFOC. You know? And, but I will say this about it. The, the beauty of this is, of EFOC, it is, there is a place for it in the trad community because most people can't um, control their release. They have a lot of torque. Uh, it's tough for people to get a consistent shot um, uh, for the trad bow. There's a lot of variables that go on, and a, and a high FOC arrow with a, with a lower you know lower rear weight, it will recover faster. It will definitely recover faster, and that helps trad guys with poor form and things like that. This you is know? this is something I was trying to. I was talking to several different guys about when we went out for the for the push when we were doing uh, the video with, with Tom Clum. I was taking photos right. at, what am I shooting, 12 frames per second or something? It's, it's super fast on my camera. And I was trying to, as they were filming a guy in his release hand, I was photographing the arrow in flight. And this, is, this is, goes, I agree with you 100%. If a guy shot four arrows, 50% of the time his release was not perfect. And the... You know, not to get into the argument, Archer's paradox, the flexing of the arrow in a perfect release at 10 yards, that arrow was f straight, 10 to 15, meaning the flexing of the arrow was gone and it's a bullet going down range. Then we had photos at 25 yards, that arrow was still flexing like crazy because the Archer's release was poor because he, 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 he bear hooked it, he clawed it. Okay, well, this is where that EFOC comes into play. That will help drag that arrow downrange. It's pulling it, and that flexing of that arrow is not as critical as it normally would be, and that's important. But 
what would you rather? I mean, and, and again, everything being equal with the system that I have right now, no matter how bad my release is or good or whatever, I'm still hitting the dot. Now, maybe my release isn't as bad as others, but I'm not going to sacrifice aero durability and flight to go with higher to, to go to EFOC when what I have right now is solving all of those problems and I'm not sacrificing anything at the four points of the compass. I've got a durable aero. I've got high weight. I've got good front of center. I'm grouping good and I have no issues in the wind. I'm not going to go out of my way to pump a bunch of extra air weight up front to reduce my aero you know, my, my actual arrow grains per inch decrease my durability. And that's where it kind of comes into play with all of this stuff. And I agree with you. It, it will help a bad release having a higher front of center because it's compensating for, for piss poor arrow flight. And most people don't have the time to spend like you do tuning your bow. And if you don't have the time to spend tuning your bow and you're, you're like me and you have to work 12, 14 hours a day and you don't understand it all, the high FOC is probably going to be something that's going to help you because it's going to mask uh, if you're not properly spined. It's going to mask poor release. Uh, it's going to mask if, if you haven't got the brace height set right. I mean, it's going to mask all of these things. It's going to help you. It's going to stabilize that arrow. The only, the only reason I don't like it is because I've had failures with it in winds, you know, in winds and crosswinds and things like that because the knot's not behind the head, it's a very small percentage. I'm not saying that it's just horrible. It's just that it's a 10% chance you're going to get in a situation where it's going to fail. I don't take those chances because I don't have to. I can take the time and tune my bow properly. And then the other thing, too, is, is you have to shoot such a brittle arrow to get the EFOC because you can't really have a lot of weight in your shaft. So those are the only two deterrents, durability, and crosswind, but look, if you don't have time to spend like most, like a lot of people do tuning their bow, it might be the answer for you. You know, I want to be very objective about that, you know? But no, if you no. shoot your bow every day, there's no excuse in not setting up a good balanced arrow. No, for, for sure. Well, man, I just looked, we're at an hour and 45 minutes. We should probably get off this damn thing. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, well, yeah well, I got people sitting out my truck. That's I'm funny. Catch on fire, so I, I got to roll. All right, man. Thanks for hopping on. Thanks, Brian. See you, Franklin. <laughs> Later. <laughs>